Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Superhumanized podcast. Many of us struggle with eyesight as we age. What if I told you your eyesight could actually improve with age? Can you reverse your nearsightedness and throw away your glasses? According to today's guest, Jake Steiner, yes, you can. Jake says, your eyes are not broken. Nearsightedness is not an illness, but a $100 million business. And you can understand, control, and reverse your myopia. Jake is the founder of nmyopia.org, the largest online vision improvement community. And he has helped tens of thousands of people better their eyesight and even reverse myopia. Jake has spent the last 20 years in vision biology science focused on the prevention of nearsightedness and methods of reversing it, and he has written over 1,200 articles on vision biology and myopia control. Today, Jake will share with us why we have more control over our eyesight than we're told, the unrecognized driver of myopia, and how certain tools and daily habits can improve and even reverse the condition. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized Podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Jake, I'm so excited to talk to you about all things eye health today. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Now, Jake, you reversed your own myopia back to 2020 vision. Can you explain what exactly is myopia? And a lot of people sure. think it's a genetic condition, but apparently it's not. So why does it develop? So myopia is nearsightedness or shortsightedness, depending where you're from. If you're wearing glasses, you take them off. You can't see clearly at a distance is myopia. And I always explain this because I learned after years and years of doing this that people don't actually know. It's not until I started doing these podcasts that people started asking. People think it's a genetic condition. You go to the optometrist early in life. Normally, your parents take you. And you're told that you have some unknown genetic issue and they give you glasses or contact lenses and you wear those for the rest of your life, as I did or I did for a while. There's a big rift between what I call retail optometry, the people that sell you glasses, and academia. So the same people, the same basic profession on the academic side where you read the peer-reviewed clinical studies, the journals, they understand exactly what causes myopia, but the people who sell you glasses don't have that discussion with. So it's a really odd, and when people listen to me, I always first say scholar.google.com. Google Scholar is the clinical science search engine, basically, that gives you all the studies. 
So when you hear these crazy stories from crazy people on the internet saying this $100 billion business is dealing with a condition that's not real, it sounds far-fetched. It sounds like a red flag. It sounds like crazy talk. Scholar.google.com is really my first recommendation for looking up what the cause of this all is. And to not turn this into a giant monologue, the super short version is go to scholar.google.com, search pseudomyopia, P-S-E-U-D-O myopia. Pseudo meaning not real. And you're going to get tens of thousands of results, all of which is peer-reviewed clinical science. And most of them are optometry and ophthalmology journals discussing that your eyesight gets bad from basically too much close-up. So you're in school, you're reading books, you're spending a lot of time doing homework, or now in our current modern life, you're spending too much time in front of screens causes this whole thing that now has you wearing glasses. I can relate to that. I work so much from my laptop, from the smaller screens, and sometimes it's hours and hours a day. It's just the new normal, at least for me, the way I work. And I notice a huge huge difference when I have a few days of break with technology and the clearness and sharpness of my eyesight. And when I have a week or two weeks of six, seven, eight hours on screen time, it's a, it's, definitely different. So how quickly can you reverse something like that? Is it actually accurate that I feel like, oh, <laughs> my eyes are doing so much better after even a few days break? Did you ever wear glasses or not? No, I did not. Oh, lucky you. So this is a good conversation for you because you don't really have to worry about any of this. But it, what you're experiencing, so good for you, you didn't end up ever wearing glasses. But if you're doing that eight hours of work, your distance vision is not as good, especially if the lighting isn't great. If you just spent 10 hours in front of a screen and then go out for a drive, not going to be as great as if you didn't spend any time in front of screens. If you went to an optometrist after that giant screen time and they put you in a dark room in front of an eye chart, they would dial in some lenses in front of your eyes and you would see sharper with those glasses. And you would go, wow, that's great. Maybe you wouldn't because maybe you're apprehensive of this. But literally, there is that point where you would be, you could put on some very low diopter, like minus one diopter glasses at night after that 10 hours and be like, wow, my vision really is clearer with this. And the super short version of what happens is in the front of the eye is a lens and it's a flexible lens. It's, there's a circular muscle around it that shapes it. It bulges out basically a little bit when you look at things up close and it flattens when you look at things in a distance. It's like a camera lens. It's a super cool piece of biology. That circular muscle keeps reshaping that lens. And the closer you look at something, the tighter that muscle gets. By design, it's really meant to mostly be relaxed because mostly once you're looking at something 20 feet away, that muscle is completely relaxed. But when you're looking at your phone, the muscle's super tight. Now, if you're watching Netflix for four hours or you're sitting in front of your computer screen and you're bringing that thing a little bit close or you're leaning in, muscle's really tight. It doesn't have a feedback mechanism. So it's not letting, it's not, if you're holding your arm up, eventually you feel like, oh, that's getting heavy. That muscle doesn't give you that feedback. Eventually it spasms, a muscle spasm. Any muscle that you hold tight for too long, it just, it gets stuck basically. Mm. So this initial symptom of I can't see clearly at a distance is actually stuck muscle. It's not your eyes didn't suddenly go bad when you were 12, when your parents took you to the optometrist. It's not that you had a genetic condition. Muscle was stuck. Pseudo. You speak about the age your parents take you to the optometrist when you're a kid. How old were you when you started wearing glasses? And what led you to find alternatives to wearing glasses? 
I want to say 12-ish thereabouts, yeah. which was the normal age for people that are as ancient as I am now, almost 50. Now it's younger though. Like in the last 10 years and more recently, I get a lot more emails from parents. Now it's basically daily, especially with the last year, the way it's been. Now it's mm. two, three-year-olds, five-year-olds. Parents are using iPads as babysitters. Terrible idea because that muscle, right? is tight. Now you have a two-year-old with super short arms watching cartoons on iPads. Muscle gets stuck. Squinting at the parents taking to the optometrist, they get glasses. So it's a, it's always, not always, but most prevalently, that's the progression. For me, it was 12. I wore glasses till my early 20s. And then I was super stable. So I was wearing the same high, almost minus five doctor, thick lens glasses, looking like a giant nerd. At some point, just randomly, I couldn't see at night again. I went back to the optometrist and they said, I need stronger glasses. And I asked why. And they said, it's genetic. And because of my profession at the time, I'm a, I was an analyst, I asked a lot of questions. And I was like, what does it mean? It's why now? And they say, oh, genetics. As a schooling in Germany is pretty, pretty decent. So I knew enough. I don't, I'm not a geneticist, but we know that genetics don't change in 10, 20, 50 years globally, worldwide for all people to such a specific extent. We didn't become genetically deficient suddenly. So I was like, that answer can't be right. And this was before fancy Google, all oh, you kids today. So I went to the library and I started researching and I found this exact thing, pseudomyopia or near-induced transient myopia, a stuck muscle spasm started the whole thing. And that didn't lead to a solution, but it led me to, I don't trust the people that give me a treatment without understanding the cause. So from then started the last 20 years of exploring, like how do our eyes function well and how do we work better in this current environment of technology and how do we give ourselves alternatives to this symptom treatment? Yes, and I want to delve deeper into all of that with you. And when you first discovered this information on pseudomyopia, what was the first information that you uncovered and what were the first exercises that you found that would that actually helped you remedy the condition? Initially, no remedy. And that's what, there's two pieces to this. One is crazy guy who is not a doctor, who is not an optometrist, who has no business telling anybody about eyesight. I just was looking at the people that are telling me that my eyes are broken and that are selling me things for significant profits are not telling me the full story. And if people are listening to this, that part you can find fairly easily, right? Like you can follow my journey of these people are only selling me one quick fix solution, which a lot of people love. It's fine. Glasses. There is no, I couldn't, I did not find a well-established scientific basis of how do you fix this. Mm -hmm. I only found glasses literally cause myopia. If you go to Google Scholar, type in lens-induced myopia, this should be shocking. And I've told this story so many times that I've lost the, the excitement in it. But you type lens-induced myopia into Google Scholar, you're going to get tens of thousands of results literally saying from peer-reviewed journals in optometry and ophthalmology that your glasses cause your eyes to get worse. Literally. Imagine any medical treatment, in this case, medical is a question mark because your eyes are not broken, but that causes the symptom to get worse. It's crazy. And you and I were having this chat, but if you really think about it, it's, if you type lens-induced myopia in there, it's literally the treatment makes your eyes worse. And it's a hundred billion dollar industry feeding this. And this is just uh, with regards to myopia, the numbers? Yes. Uh 
Yeah, it, this is just the lens manufacturing industry is a hundred billion dollars every year of selling people glasses that cost the optometrist two to five dollars and that they sell you for hundred. And again, this is not it's not a conspiracy. It's most people appreciate the quick fix. Most people don't want the personal responsibility. Everybody wins, right? There's lots of employment, money's being made. The publicly traded company I invest in lens manufacturing stock. At the end of the day you have the good fortune of not wearing glasses for people that are stuck behind these things. It's like a handicap. You wake up in the morning, you can't see without putting something in front of your face. Like, like you're living this life of self-limiting. Just imagine if you woke up in the morning and you can't see anything. Sure. To, so, yeah. No, it's scary. It's disorienting. And it's, yeah, it's a lot you have to deal with on top of the other regular stresses in life. And you said a word, actually a couple of words that I find crucial here, and that's personal responsibility. I'm a big friend of taking radical responsibility for our own health and well-being and where we can to actually heal ourselves, or at the very least, really research any of the treatments or healing modalities we want to employ, deploy for our well-being. So when you got started on this journey, until you actually discovered what worked for you, was it mostly trial and error? Did you try a lot of things that didn't work? Tell us a little bit about your journey there. That was a that was interesting. So again, I'm not a doctor and I think maybe that's an advantage. My my job was analyzing businesses, understanding do they make money? How do they make money? Will they continue making money? Does anybody want to invest in these things? So I'm very looking at the logical premise of a thing and that's how I would make money. So that was my approach to this was looking at, okay, so these people sell me glasses according to their own research, their own clinical science journals, their treatment makes my eyes worse. The end, right? There was no other information. So I was like, okay, so I started delving into what, what happens here. First, there's that muscle spasm, right? So lessening the muscle spasm is necessary, right? So I was working out what is a way to do this. Actually, before then, I bought a bunch of books on Bates method and eye exercises. I tried a bunch of things that existed, none of which worked. Right. So my starting point was somebody must have already figured this out. I can't possibly be the guy. None of the approaches were super effective and none of them were giving me a connection to the things I already found. Right. Like I found ciliary spasm. So there's like stuff like Bates method, which is super popular, but I was looking for somebody to say, here's a problem. Here's how we're addressing it. And everything I could find and most of what you find on the internet today, not addressing the cause. And I'm really skeptical of solutions that don't involve here's the cause and here's how we're fixing it. So muscle spasm from too much close-up. I was trying to reduce how close I am to screens, how much of the time. Mm -hmm. And then the second part is, and this is highly debatable. I concede this absolutely. Lens-induced myopia, so your glasses make your eyes worse by making your eye get longer. That's hard to summarize in a short way, but basically your eyes like a fluid filled ball, but it's not perfect, right? Like it's never exactly correct. So there's a built in mechanism to adjust its length all the time, right? Like it's always because it's just a, a, a ball of not skin, but like it's a membrane, right? It's always readjusting itself. And when you put lenses in front of your eyes, move some of the light too far back in the eye that activates that mechanism causing the eye to get longer. 
So the reason people, when they first get glasses after a year, they get stronger glasses, something called axial elongation, also on Google Scholar. The eyeball elongates to adjust to compensate for the lenses. That just continues on and on till I was at minus five. So my eye, hypothetically, was more elongated. And my theory was, I'm going to try going the same thing in reverse. I'm at minus five now. It took years and years to get to minus five. I'm just going to get weaker glasses with the assumption that the opposite stimulus occurs. The light focuses a little bit in front of the eye, giving the eye the stimulus to shorten. And that's hugely debated. And since we've become a pretty big resource over the years, this is the number one thing that people in the industry argue with us about, that there's not enough studies. There are some studies that show that the eyeball shortens, but then they say, do you have proof that the eyeball shortens based on your approach? But my approach, short version was, I wear weaker glasses. So I had minus five, you wear slightly weaker glasses, the light focuses in front of the eye, prompting the eyeball to shorten is the assumption, right? And that didn't work for me in the beginning. I didn't know what I was doing, right? Like there, it turns out there's a lot more nuance to the approach, but the basic premise worked, right? Over the years, my eyesight improved. And then other people got involved that were curious that also tried it. And we refined the approach over the last 20 years to the point where now you can reduce your myopia by about a year. Every three to four months, you can wear slightly weaker glasses and have the same eyesight. And this is now, it's by now it's tens of thousands of people who've been experimenting with this very much DIY, right? I'm not making any grand claims or promises, but it, it appears that the eyes are not sick or broken or genetically defective, and they will readjust if we lower the strain and use less of the treatment. And is there anything else involved also in the information that you have been sharing, the kind of training you've been sharing, uh, anything other than uh, reducing the strain? Is there particular exercises we can do to help the eye recover faster? Not really. And so this is a very, maybe I'm an unexciting guy, right? quite possibly because I'm just, I'm not that, I'm not that in, I'm always into what is the easiest way to address this problem effectively. Mm -hmm. And it turns out your eyesight improves fairly three to four months, about three to four months, you can reduce your glasses consistently, but who's going to do exercises? Okay. <laughs> Realistically, yeah. even if some exercise worked and there are some things that theoretically you could do, you'd have to do it all the time. But and what? I'm personally curious about it because we go to the gym, we train our muscles, our legs and arms and such. And obviously, like you just said, most people like the quick fix and they just get glasses instead of trying to train their eyes. So I'm somebody personally, I like to, in theory, what kind of exercises would they be? I'm interested in that. Sure. So the whole idea is your eyesight is as good as you need it to be. I, when I'm in, I, have a, I live in Myanmar, used to part of the time, and I would hang out with people that herd sheep and goats. They can see those things at distances that I literally need binoculars for. Believable. Oh. And all over the world, I lived in Nepal. I was paragliding in Nepal for six months or so. And there too, there's people that just, their life is about seeing things at far distances and they have incredible distance vision. I used to work with people that, for example, are in the military that need highly accurate distance vision, and we can train that. And the, to answer your question is basically look for things in the distance 
as small as possible, as often as possible. That could even mean hanging up an eye chart in your house. If you can't read the smallest few lines, you sit there and you look at the eye chart, trying to see what's the smallest I can read. Try to get good natural ambient light. Don't overdo it. Don't do this for three hours a day. But what is the smallest thing you can see today? And do it every day. Eventually, the thing that you can just barely see, right? Like the Z at the end, you can't quite tell what it is. It will eventually clear up and it might take weeks and it might take months. You can, by making yourself look at the smallest thing that you can just barely make out and keep focusing on it and keep focusing on it, your distance vision will eventually improve in that direction. Mm. Limiting factor is ciliary spasm. So if you spent four hours watching Netflix on the iPad and then you try to do this, as long as that muscle stuck, the exercise is not going to work. So you're going to need probably an hour walk first, looking at things in the distance, trying to make sure that muscles relaxing, trying to make sure that you have good distance vision to begin with. And then you could do a thing like this. It's not necessary, right? But if you, for example, if you came to me and you said, I need 2010 vision, which is just far above average or 28, for one, not everybody can do it. But the only way you're going to get to that level is doing what we're talking about here of Mm -hmm. specifically spending time challenging that that hardest part of your distance vision. If you do that very consistently, for some people, certainly you can get to that point. Really hard though, if you also have phones, right? If you want 2010, you're going to have to basically get rid of that phone and really limit that close up to computer screen distance. You don't want this distance at all. Right. And what you just said, especially you said you work also with people in the military. I have some friends in that realm and some of them who are formerly uh, active. And of course, with age comes what a lot of people think is inevitable, wearing the glasses, myopia. I think some of them will be really excited to hear what you've been saying, that it's actually, and to their great chagrin, people who've been very efficient at and other highly skilled at other things as well. So I think that (laughs) that will give them some inspiration and hope to maybe let go of all the electronics and the Netflix and retrain their eyes. And 20 feet, the muscles relaxed. So if a lot of this is an addiction to scrolling on Instagram and the smaller the screen the closer you're going to hold it for immersion. It's not going to feel immersive unless relative to the size of the screen, you reduce the distance. The bigger the screen, the easier it is to keep it at a greater distance. So the ideal distance is a big TV, right? Or projector. (laughs) Because 20 feet, relaxed muscle, you're fine. Your distance, not ideal, but still okay. The phone distance is no good. And the problem is it seems that once that muscle has gotten used to getting stuck in that position, it gets stuck there much quicker. For, mm-hmm. So for, for those kinds of people, somebody who's a sniper, somebody who's shooting or seeing at a distance is their main thing. The phone is a no-go. Mm-hmm. There's no phone, right? Like I say, for those people, I say, have, a, have a, one of those smartwatch things so you get your notifications without then being tempted to scroll. And then whatever messaging you need to do, have an iPad, pull out the iPad, put it on a desk, have it at a screen distance. You can't be at this. But that's specialists. That's people that professionally need the eyesight. Playing with this, if you encounter any issues with your distance vision, you can't be doing this for half an hour, 20 times a day. And so that being said, is myopia always fixable or rather what is the success rate? 86% was last year with a group of I want to say 120 or so people 
that are in a kind of a mentored group. I provide everything for free. So for the vast majority of people who do this for free, I don't have data because I'm not following their journey. The success rate is very high, depending though on your motivation, right? Like number one is motivation because if you have no reason to do it, it's difficult to do because your screen addiction versus what, right? If you love surfing, you can break up with your phone a little bit more to be able to surf without contact lenses, right? If you have a reason to do it, it's the success rate is extremely high because your eye is healthy. It's just readjusting itself. Because I work with people all over the world, if a surfer comes to me and says, I need to fix this, I'm not saying I can guarantee it, but I feel extremely confident. If a university student from Hong Kong comes to me and says he wants to fix this, the odds are not as great, right? Because Mm -hmm. environment, Hong Kong, extremely confined. Everything is in very small spaces. All your friends are going to be playing on the phone, even if you hang out with them, even when you're socializing. You have to study an extreme amount of time. There's not a lot of outdoor hobby options. So you can have a very high ratio of screen use relative to your distance use. Much harder to accomplish, right? Because first you need to not have a muscle spasm and then you need enough distance vision, right? That's the whole... The reason this is not extremely popular other than my face possibly is it's boring, Right? Like you're saying, like, what is a fun exercise? What is, a, what is the secret sauce? And it's really just lessen your phone addiction, wear slightly weaker glasses, spend more time outside. Simple as good, though. This is achievable for everyone. And you mentioned it before. It really does have a, quite an effect on your life. The first thing every morning you have to do is reach for your glasses. So it's as simple as good. Anybody can do this. You don't need some fancy gear or spend tons of money on some biohacking gadgets and, or supplements. You could, which actually leads to my next question. Does nutrition play a role and can certain food make myopia better or worse? It, the body's a system, right? Like the whole thing is connected. Nothing works well if something is broken, generally mm-hmm. speaking. For example, if you have a diet that has a lot of insulin spikes, not great for your eyesight. You might eat a pizza and drink a large Coke. If you measure your eyesight, which is not that hard to do, you may notice a deterioration in your vision while you have that insulin spike. Diabetics generally have eyesight problems that are not what I'm talking about that are easily fixable. It appears to be if you're diabetic, you also are very likely to have poor eyesight. Diet plays a role, but I'm not a dietitian, right? Like I think if you're living healthy otherwise, the screen is the problem and your strong glasses are the problem. You can be obese and still get yourself back to 2020. It is, however, ideal to address nutritional deficiencies. Like I'm, again, I'm not, that's not my expertise, but I get a blood, big blood panel checkup every year and look at where are things missing. Like people ask me about vitamins for the eyes. I'm like, yeah, vitamins for all, everything, right? Like right. The, the, you need it for, if you have a deficiency, address the deficiency. If you don't have a deficiency, taking a particular set of vitamins to fix myopia, probably not going to work, right? Like it's more of a background thing. Make sure the system's healthy and then address the specific problem here that's causing the issue. Absolutely. Cover your basis, basics first. I know from traditional Chinese medicine, they, of course, have 
herbs that have helped soothe and also strengthen the eyes for thousands of years. There's quite a few of them. There's one that I particularly like. Of course, it also has other positive effects, but it's Chisandra Berry is excellent. And I think you can support the healing or also just keeping your entire system, but also particular organs in check and in balance and as healthy as possible. With regards to other methods of keeping things in check or optimizing them. What are your thoughts about laser surgery? Laser surgery is awesome. Yeah, it's so great. And you're getting your eyes. So basically how it works is contact lens, glasses, all the same thing to change the focal plane to move light further back in your eye. What they figured out with laser surgery is if you cut into your cornea in the front of your eye, you can make the focal plane change exactly as you would with a contact lens. So the laser surgery is basically a permanently cut contact lens in the front of your eye. Whether that flap ever heals or not properly is a question mark. Apparently, like something like if you fight a pilot, can't have had LASIK because they say the flap will possibly move in high G. The guy, Morris Waxler, was the guy at the American FDA in charge of having LASIK approved. If you Google Morris Waxler and see his opinion on what he calls the biggest mistake in his life, being instrumental in getting LASIK approved and campaigning hard against it, even though hopeless at this point. There's a website, I think, LASIK complications. Of all the things that go wrong that are not fixable, the FDA's own website, you have to dig a little bit to find it, has a page of complications, the rate of complications, and most of them are not reversible. I have that page linked somewhere on my site also. It's pretty shocking because the incidence rate is not that small. For things like dry eyes, for example, you might end up with dry eyes afterwards, or you might end up with halos, or you might end up with all kinds of things. Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not advising on LASIK. The problem with, or the shortcoming of LASIK is it's just a permanent contact lens, but getting that cut in your eye, if something goes wrong, I'm being facetious when I call it a genius plan. I think it's the risk to reward is not amazing. If it works out for you, great. If it doesn't work out for you, there's not necessarily any going back. Exactly. I've had experiences in both directions within my close family. One person had an amazing experience. Everything was wonderful. The other person had problems for six, 10 months plus, also including pain and dry eyes. So yeah, you just don't know what you've got until after you got the surgery. And it's elective. You're not going to die without it. My general position on cutting myself up is... Am I going to die or have significant problems in my life if I don't do this? If not, maybe that's a big chance. But that's an individual choice. I would caution people to do a fair amount of research. If it's worth it to you, it's not that cheap, right? Don't do it cheap if if a cheap option is available. If you're dreaming about a life after LASIK, then you have a goal. And if you spend three months trying my approach, which is just wearing less strong glasses, basically more details, but basically you don't have to spend any money, right? Other than buying lower correction glasses, three to four months, you should have measurably better eyesight. And if that's the case, then you don't really need to do LASIK. That might be good inspiration to try to avoid the operation. Try the natural route first. One thing that you've also mentioned before, of course, the electronics, the phones and the Netflix and the screens. So reality of most of our lives is we do not have the great fortune to live in forests and forage for our own foods and be completely disconnected from technology. Sounds like paradise to me. My reality, for example, is I have to spend all this time on the screens and a lot of the 
listeners will also be able to relate to that. So what is the best practice? This is our life. It's not likely not going to change. So what's the best practice for still keeping our eyes as healthy as possible using the technology that's just become part of our life? The approach is super simple, right? Like less eye spasm, less ciliary spasm, more time distance vision. That's the technically all there's to it. This is where I like to go on the side rant. It's not really my business what you do with your life, right? Mm -hmm. You have a certain amount of time you need to spend in front of screens because work, because making money, because living. There's a certain amount of time you're spending in front of screens because you're an addict. Mm -hmm. And people who have never had drug addiction problems, I have, I'm very familiar with the feeling. The phone is the same thing. You're lying to yourself that you're not having a problem. If I'm telling people, hey, come to dinner, but don't bring your phone. Some people don't come to dinner. A problem. It's a problem. Have somebody take not, don't bring your phone. Just don't use your phone for two days. Use screens, right? Bring an iPad, whatever, but don't have access to your phone. Notice at what point you're having withdrawal symptoms. You're getting cranky. You're getting anxious. You're making excuses. You're wanting to get back in front of the thing. The moment you turn it on, you feel better. That's an addiction. Excellent point. If you can, it's an addiction because it's fun, right? If you, my goal is always what else can I find to do in my spare time that gets me away from the screen? Understanding my own issues with addiction, look for a substitute, right? Like you need something else to do. So finding other hobbies, finding other ways to get yourself outside, get yourself into a place where you're not staring at this one thing slowly over time. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. If you're out to dinner with your friends and you notice five people all playing on their phones, you're among a group of addicts. Those are the things you don't have a problem with your eyesight because of the eight hours in front of the screen. You're having a problem with your eyesight because the rest of the hours are also in front of screens that you don't need. And that turns into a bigger issue. And that's an ongoing, when I mentioned before, I used to paraglide in Nepal. That happened because I was trying to break that addiction and I was trying to find things that would engage my life in a way that would be worth it. And that's extreme, obviously. But you can take a much, much smaller step. What can I do for an hour that is going to be tempting enough for me to forget the screen for that hour? And then slowly addressing a life that's possibly lost all meaning because it's turned into, a, into just consumption, right? Like you wake up, you're consuming, then you're working and all your breaks you're consuming, before bed, the excuses, I need to unwind, relax, watch Netflix, see what my friends are doing on Instagram, and then you sleep. And your whole life, you've just become a mindless consumer of stuff. Reclaiming an hour here, an hour there, till eventually you're a little bit less of an addict. And now you have a goal, possibly, to not be stuck behind the lenses. And that's, that's super judgmental. And that's not really my topic. The topic is you can fix your eyes pretty easily. But since you brought it up, no, absolutely. And I think what you said is really profound. It is an addiction. And what you also said about the paragliding in Nepal for you, that helped you break yours. Of course, this is very exciting. This is a lot of stimulus, but it's also a lot of reward because what our brains have gotten used to by consuming technology mindlessly, whether it's the likes on Facebook or on Instagram or what are my friends doing or this exciting series or that gossip. And we've become used to this drip, drip of, I guess it's dope, little dopamine highs that we get from consuming like that and also getting validation via that. In a sense, it's uh, we need to break it by giving ourselves 
ourselves rewards of a different kind. We're not going to break the addiction by going cold turkey. For most of us, that would be extremely difficult or also not feasible because we still need to use the technology in one way or the other. And then it's easy to slide back into this consuming <laughs> state. But I think you retrain the brain by giving it rewards of a different kind. So what you said is really important. What can we find that excites us for an hour or even 10 minutes that gives us a satisfaction and maybe even one that's sustainable, maybe even one that gives meaning to our life, maybe one that makes memories. We're not going to remember, oh, 10 and a half years ago on that Thursday afternoon, I spent three hours scrolling through my Instagram feed. Oh my God, my life became so wonderful. I love this memory. BS, we're not. So what can we do that actually will bring a smile to our face, not just in the moments, but maybe years down the road and have given us meaning? So one other I, I really... thing, the one other tiny piece that is a random realization I had with this stuff is the thing that's really missing. And I have a little kid. I have a five-year-old. He's not allowed to play with phones. He will complain for a while because he wants to watch movies. He wants to watch cartoons. A super important thing that we've, we're losing with phones and devices is boredom. You mm -hmm. do not get bored. And if you don't get bored, you don't get inspired. If you're sitting in your place, bored you're going to find something, right? Like you're going to find something to make or do, or you're going to call a friend or you're going to do something. But boredom is like the root of exploration, of happiness, of something. And as long as you have that phone that you can just pick up as soon as you get bored and scroll, it kills the boredom and it kills the beginning of you doing something possibly interesting. I love that. Yes, it's and it's a distraction. And not only does it call your creative spark, I think it also inhibits. Sometimes it's good to be bored to just really be doing no nothing, doing no thing, because that's the time when also your subconscious can work. You know, when your mind is not focused on anything, whether it's gratifying or stressful or whatnot, but when your mind is just floating and you might be bored, but actually you're in your subconscious, things are working and coming together. And we don't have a culture where we actually cultivate the boredom. To the contrary, we're constantly hustling, working, doing, and then we're dealing with our addiction to our phones. And I think it's it would not only be beneficial to our health and to our brains, but also to our spirit to us as creative beings to actually cultivate boredom make time to be bored <laughs> yeah for sure a hugely it's so great you get bored and then you find interesting things to do and it helps on all levels and it's not to get into a giant sideline of this but since i've had kids it reframed my perspective right because i'm like how was my life when i was small And it came from that. Like you, and you watch that happen, right? Like they go outside and then they find things to do and things to make and they build mm -hmm. stuff and they use sticks and stones and they're having a good time. And now I can't play on my phone because I can't set a bad example, right? So now I'm like, I'm re-evaluating my life through the lens of a little kid and going, there's a lot more stuff starting with boredom and then going into creativity and then playing with others and having other experiences and I think we'll find ourselves again, but right now we're in a time where this just happened. Nobody has an answer to it. And we've all turned into raging addicts and there's nobody there to say to us, this is an issue. 
right? We all get myopic and we all have wear glasses and nobody can see anything anymore. Yes. And being myopic, literally and figuratively, both senses, our world, our vision becomes small. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's a difference between being a consumer and a creator. Yeah. It's a difference between feeling life happens to you or you are happening to life. Yeah. yeah. So I'd like yeah. to hear a little bit more because you mentioned it, the uh, paragliding in Nepal. What got you actually to seeking out that experience? D these conversations happen all the time when people go, I have nothing else to do. It, especially I talk to kids here in Asia where they're like, an hour? What am I going to do for an hour? It's become so screen focused. I have this ongoing thing where I'm always making myself bored and then try to figure out what are people doing right now? Like what's, what exists out there? And I always put that out to friends and I try to have more friends that do more stuff. I eliminate the screen addicts, sad as it is, and I try to have friends. And there was one of my friends who is a, just an adrenaline junkie who discovered paragliding and said, come fly, because he knows that I'm always hunting for a thing and I have a huge fear of heights and I'm not crazy and I don't want to die. But he bought me the class and it was like $3,000. So at that point I was like, he already paid for it because he's a smart guy. He was like, yeah. Don't feel guilty if you don't want to do it. So I went and I took the glass. It was horrifyingly scary and completely amazing. If you have the, if there's high things around you or powered paragliding, like if you have the chance, just put powered paragliding into Google, go for a tandem ride, blow your mind because it's just a wing, right? A flexible wing that lays on the ground. It's nothing on the ground, but once air inflates it, you're a bird. And when the kind of paragliding I did, no engine, you have to go up on a high mountain. You have to jump from the high mountain. And then the thing glides. And as it's gliding at high altitudes, you're looking for rising air. So you're looking for birds that are flying in circles without moving their wings. You're looking for clouds. You're learning the weather patterns around you because you don't want to go down. You want to go up. And if you find rising air, you can take big turns in that rising air and it takes you up higher. So you can spend hours and hours just flying around over the mountains of Nepal, as long as you keep finding rising air. So it's extremely challenging because the whole time you're feeling where you are in that space, you're looking for where the air is going up and the air is going down, and you're really engaged with your environment. Part of you is I'm suspended from a wing very high up in the air. Am I going to die at any moment? When you're coming down, like I landed one time and there was just this field of buffaloes and I had no other option. And Buffaloes there are not very friendly and people always said, stay away from the buffalo. So they're sitting in there and not crashing into the lake. It's such a, you don't think about your phone. You certainly do not think about your phone and you have an experience that seems impossible for us to have and yet is out there. Like I got into kite surfing, right? Like now every year I spend three months kite surfing, less risk of dying, equally amazing. Like you can be a superhuman you can be like a superhero flying in the air or flying over the water or doing whatever. And all of these amazing things exist today, right? That, that you can go find. And it ended up being in Nepal because a friend moved there and it's a long story, but I had to bring him some of his gear. And so I ended up there eventually. Mm. And I'm also fortunate because I, don't, I made all my money. I don't have to work. I have the time to do these things. But even in a more specific limited space, if you carve it out, you can find experiences that you never thought about or you never realized were possible that really can can put the phone screen addiction in perspective. And that can really elevate you in your no. sense. Yes. Nice. Yes. Yeah. 
And yeah. these things are so important. Is this part of your practice? That's also something I ask every guest is what are the practices that have benefited you mentally, spiritually, or physically in your life and that you would like to share with us? Yeah, that's the main thing is we're working, right? Like we, there's enough of our life that's eaten by problems and challenges and all the stuff we have to do. And I think the rest of the time we have available for me, I don't want to judge anybody, is what can I do to make this fun? Life sucks. Like enough of life sucks. The time I have available to find something that's, and not fun like hedonism and drugs, but what is the thing where I want a fun problem? Learning how to kite surf. It's a challenge. It's difficult. And it's very rewarding. I'm always on the hunt for what is that thing that is going to make me feel great because the problem I picked is going to be fun to solve. That is really a great thing to integrate into our lives. Thank you for sharing that. And people who want to find more about what you do and who you are, who want to reach out, where can they do, Jake? Terrible website, nmyopia.org. It's a big mess because I made it and it's many years old. There's also a big community there. We have a, a Facebook group with 20 some odd thousand members. We have a really big forum and we have a terrible YouTube channel. We have all this stuff that all the tools, you don't need to spend any money on this to find motivation and how to fix your eyesight and meet lots of people all over the world that have all their own reasons doing this. Wonderful. All wow. in, yeah. Just from nmyopia.org, you'll find all the links for it. Cool. I pulled all of that in the show notes. Jay, thank you for this truly eye-opening conversation. I loved it. <laughs> and for sharing some of the things you do, aside from working on helping people get their eyesight back. It's really been nice talking to you. Thank you for being my guest. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Superhumanize. Accelerated Evolution. <laughs> 